Compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. As a church family, we went through a lot of changes just like you did in your family when we went through an entire lockdown and changing the pace of things in our lives. Uh, at first, Pastor Jordan and I did a, a bunch of standalone sermons dealing with anxiety and things like grumbling and worry. But as Pastor Jordan and I have tried to figure out what it looks like to move from this sprint to make changes to a marathon to be able to, to sustain our changes, we've decided to move from standalone sermons to um, doing a, a study of a book right now. We considered going back to the Gospel of Mark where we left off, but neither of us felt that was an appropriate thing to do at this time. And as we both prayed about it, we independently came to the same conclusion that now would be a good time for us to start a small study in the book of Philippians. And so that's what we're going to begin doing this morning. This morning, I'm going to give you the background on the Church of Philippi from Acts chapter 16. Next week, Pastor Andy will be teaching a standalone sermon on the Assam, and then I'll return and we'll pick up a 10-week study on the book of Philippians. And hopefully at the end of that time, we are no longer in social quarantine and we will be back in our buildings able to worship with one another at that time. The title of this series is Philippians, uh, A Guide to Joy. And that's because this book is all about joy in the Christian life. Here are some of the tentative sermon titles that we have laid out for this series. Uh, how to have joy in a difficult situation. Joy in loneliness. Joy in the face of suffering. Joy in the face of exhaustion. And the reason we talk about this as a book about joy is because the book is only 16 chapters long, or excuse me, four chapters long, but it talks about joy 16 times in those chapters. And it talks about Jesus over 50 times in those four chapters. So the clear overarching message of this book is that as Christians, we can have joy and that joy comes through Jesus, not our circumstances. There is a difference between happiness and joy. So let me give you uh, some definitions of those to show you what I mean. Happiness, it's an attitude of satisfaction and delight based on our present circumstances. Happiness is based on our happenings. Happiness goes up and down with regard to how life circumstances go. You get an A on your report card, you're happy. You get an F on your report card, you're sad. You end up with a lot of money in your bank accounts, you're happy. A little bit of money in your bank account, you're sad. But joy is different. Joy, it's a confidence that all is well in spite of our circumstances. Joy comes from being in a relationship with God, being loved by God, and being saved by God. Joy is the fact that we're in a relationship with God and all is well in spite of our circumstances. Let me just show you a little bit about um, happiness and joy based on our society. The point is here that we are a society pursuing happiness, not pursuing joy. And we can see that in the Declaration of Independence, where it says we are given the rights to life, liberty, 
and the pursuit of happiness, not the guarantee of happiness. And we try to pursue happiness in a number of ways as a society. One way we try to do that is by possessions. For instance, all advertising, the simple message behind it is this. Buy our junk and you'll be happy because you have our junk. Sometimes you see uh, articles on the internet, like I saw recently, it says, which car will make you the happiest? The idea is that buying a car makes you happy until you're making the payments at the end of the month, which very quickly make you sad once again. But my favorite article I saw on the internet was by Ford Motor Company saying that owning a sports car is more satisfying than kissing. I don't know how they determined that. I don't think so because the payments for the insurance on kissing are much cheaper than owning a sports car. So I think that, you know, having a wife would actually make you much happier than a sports car. Another way that we try to pursue happiness today is actually by religion. And that's by the prosperity gospel in our culture. The poster child for the prosperity gospel in our culture is a man named Joel Olstein. Let me uh, read for you from one of his sermons. And his whole focus is that God wants you happy, wealthy, and successful. He wants you to be rich. Look how Joel just comes out and says this. He says, let me assure you, he did not create you to be average. He didn't create you to be barely get by to have all kinds of things holding you back. You've got to get the right vision. God created you to be totally free, to have peace in your mind, to walk in divine health, to have good relationships, to have plenty to pay your bills. God created us as victors, not victims. Fight the good fight of faith. He wants us free from poverty and lack. No matter what the bank account looks like, our attitude is, I know I am blessed. I cannot be cursed. Whatever I touch will prosper and succeed. This, you know, that's not true. God doesn't always want us happy. He doesn't always want us wealthy. And he doesn't want us always financially successful. It's being happy, wealthy, and financially successful is the definition of what a Christian looks like, according to Joel Olstein. I have to tell you that, unfortunately, Jesus doesn't qualify. And when Jesus doesn't qualify to be a Christian by your definition, you have stepped a long way away from Jesus' de definition. For instance, uh, Jesus was not rich and prosperous. He was born into a poor family. He worked a blue-collar job for 30 years as a carpenter. Jesus was homeless and at times hungry. Jesus paid his taxes by taking the money out of the mouth of a fish that he had Peter catch. Jesus was not always in perfect relationships. His family disowned him. Judas, Judas betrayed him and the crowds crucified him. Jesus was not always living a pain-free life. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was crucified. He faced false trials and accusations. If Jesus' life wasn't a piece of cake, we shouldn't expect that our life will be a piece of cake. Life for Christians is not 
always happiness. But the book of Philippians tells us that while our life may not be about happiness, our life can be about joy. That in spite of everything that happens around us, our relationship with God is secure and his purposes for our life are always on track and he's going to continue to use us to advance the kingdom of God as we have faith and joy in him. That brings us to our second point of this message, which is what is the backstory on the Philippians? So let me take a few minutes to tell you about how the Philippian church began and what the Philippian church was like. The first thing we see is that God steered Paul to, to Philippi to plant the church. The, church of, the story of the church of Philippi begins in the book of Acts. What happened, Paul and Barnabas had just finished attending the council at Jerusalem. And in that council, the church officially recognized what God was already doing, which was bringing the gospel message to the Gentile world, not just the Jewish world. As God had brought Peter to Cornelius, and he had become a Christian. God had brought Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch, and he had become a Christian. That council gave the green light for Jews to take the gospel to Gentiles around the world. And that is exactly what happened after that. After Paul and Barnabas left the council, they soon parted ways. Paul joined Silas, and he began to uh, join also with Timothy in the city of Lystra. And their plans were to go throughout um, the churches that Paul had already planted churches in, excuse me, go to the cities where Paul had planted the churches in, and to encourage them. But as he began to do that, what happened is God would not allow that to happen. Paul planned to go to Ephesus, but the book of Acts tells us that the Holy Spirit shut the door. Paul then planned to go north to Bithynia, but the book of Acts tells us that the Holy Spirit shut the door on that and that God funneled what was Paul, Silas, and Timothy west into down to the area what was known as the Dardanelles Straits, which is a small body of water that separates Europe from the biblical world. And there, well, they met um, Dr. Luke in the city of Troas, who joined their group. And God also gave Paul a vision, a vision of a man from Macedonia, saying, please come and help us. Macedonia, by the way, is the area of northern Greeks, Hungary, and Romania in the modern-day map. And Paul realized that what God was doing was calling all four of them to take the gospel to Europe. They boarded a boat for what was the two-day journey across the Dardanelles Straits, landed at the city of Neapolis, and took a nine-mile walk to the city of Philippi, where the story of the Philippian church begins. But before we go too much farther, there's a great point of application I think we should notice, and that is how God steered and directed Paul's life. Sometimes we like to think that we can figure it all out, what God wants us to do with our life ahead of time. Maybe he'll give us a five-year plan or a 10-year plan. 
that's common with Christians in middle, in middle age to try and figure that out. Or for high school students and college students to try and figure out where God wants them to go. But God doesn't always give us a, a long-term plan ahead of time. Sometimes what he does is he steers and directs us by opening and closing doors. Isn't that what God did to Paul? He tried to go to Ephesus, but God closed the door. He tried to go north to Bithynia, but God closed the door, and he funneled him down to the Dardanelles Straits where God gave him a vision for ministry in Europe. That's many times the way God reveals his will in your life and mine as well. Maybe we apply for a job, and God closes the door. That's not because God is not with us. That's because God is steering us and directing us the way he, where he wants us to go. And so God uses open and closed doors to be able to steer us and direct us different ways. And we find that, incidentally, in a number of scripture passages. For instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, Paul says, For a wide door for effective work has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. There is an open door to work in the city of Corinth, so that's where he figured God wanted him to work. Or in Colossians chapter 4, verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Paul was in prison, and he asked the Colossians to pray that God would provide an open door for him to share the good news of Jesus while in prison. So the application for us is God often steers our life by opening and closing doors of opportunity. Now, let's look at the city of Philippi. It was a strategic Roman city. Philippi, Philippi began in the year 368 B.C. It was actually a gold rush town. When gold and silver were in the hillsides, people came by the droves to start that city. But after the gold and silver dried up, while most places would become a ghost town, uh, the city of Philippi continued to exist. And that's because it was on a road, a road called the Ignatian Way, which was a 500-mile highway from east to west that connected that part of the world ultimately back to Rome. Incidentally, when we think of a highway, we think of a large multi-lane highway. Their highways were much smaller. They were simply uh, a bunch of stones on the road. So you can see that is what the ancient Ignatian highway looked like. You couldn't put a lot of traffic on it. But this road went right through the center of Philippi, as you can see from this aerial photo. So Philippi became sort of a traveling rest stop. It's a place where people would sleep, a place where people would grab food, would feed their, their animals, and a rest stop on this major highway. Some other things we need to know about this city is that it also became a Roman colony. There was a number of uh, Roman battles that were fought in this area, and as a result, the Romans saw this as a strategic city, and when they decided to make it a Roman colony, they put 300 Roman retired soldiers in the city with their families to run the city and to provide governance for the city. 
The city was not large. It was around 10,000 in number. But when uh, the city became a Roman colony, it enjoyed all kinds of benefits. First of all, they had uh, Roman soldiers that were housed in the city. They were the ones in charge with protecting the peace of Rome in that area. Secondly, they were allowed to be self-governed and not to be governed by um, Rome itself. Thirdly, they were also given freedom from Roman taxes. So this is a tax-free zone, which I'm sure everybody liked. And fourth, the citizens of Philippi were made citizens of Rome. Roman citizenship was an extremely important thing. And it was, you were to be treated very respectful if you were a Roman citizen. So that was highly valuable. The people of Philippi prided themselves in calling themselves the Little Rome. They dressed like Roman citizens. The city plan was laid out to be like a miniature version of Rome. Even the buildings looked like they came from Rome. And this was part of the joy and delight of their life. And this will become important for us as we study this book, as we understand this delight in Roman background. Paul's custom was when he went into a city, what he did is he would usually go to the synagogue. There he would share the gospel with the Jews. And if the Jews rejected him, then he went on to the Gentiles. But when Paul went to look for a synagogue in the city of Philippi, he didn't find one. What that means is there were less than 10 Jewish men in the city. Because when there were 10 Jewish men, that is when you began a synagogue. So a lack of synagogue means less than 10 Jewish men. What Paul did on the Sabbath, though, is he went down to the river the river that was just outside of the city of Philippi. He knew if there was anybody there who worshipped God at all, they'd be found by the river. The reason for that was that there had been a tradition that had developed when the Jews were in Babylonian captivity. There they would go down to the river of Babylon on the Sabbath to see each other and to worship together. So in cities around the world at this time, the Jews would always gather by rivers to meet each other and to worship together if there was not a synagogue. And that's where Paul went. And he found a very small, small women's Bible study taking place in the city. Not much of a foothold, but he would take it. Let's look at how the church began. The first person we know who start, was in this church was a woman named Lydia. She was a merchant of purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. And by the way, that was a very lucrative business. Purple cloth was highly sought after in this time. It was uh, called a sort of a Roman purple. The dye was extracted from sea snails. Lydia was in a very good place to do that. Philippi was just off the sea where she could get those snails. And remember, the city of Philippi was on the Ignatian Way. So after she dyed her cloth, she could sell her cloth to the travelers that passed through the city. And so she was in a great place to make a lot of money because it was also a tax-free zone for her. Let's read about her story in the book of Acts. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia. 
from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. For you trivia buffs, just so you know, Lydia is the first Christian in Europe. That's what she is. There's a great application here. Notice what Paul did. All he did was present the gospel to her. Tell her about Jesus' love for her. The God had sent his son to die for her and invite her to trust in him. But the text says it was God who opened her heart to receive that message and become a Christian. And all of a sudden we realize our role in our job and God's role in his job. As Christians, our job is simply to present the truth of Jesus Christ. All we can do is present the information about God's love and forgiveness to people. It is God's job to open their hearts to receive it and take it. We cannot make anyone a Christian. All we can do is present the truth of what it means to be a Christian. And God is the one who changes hearts and lives so people are born again. Let's continue in the text. And after she was baptized and her house after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you had judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Interesting here that it wasn't just Lydia who came to Christ, but her whole household came to Christ. The instant response was that once she believed, they wanted to be baptized. Baptism is the proper response to becoming a Christian. Baptism, you are immersed underwater. You picture being buried with Christ. You're taken up out of the water. Picture being raised to new life with Jesus Christ. And her whole household wanted to be this way. Luke, who is writing here, uh, tells us that she was a very persuasive woman, that she prevailed upon them, and she sort of really used a strong tendency to make sure that you come over her house for a lot of hospitality. I guess that's why she was such a successful saleswoman in the city. While Lydia is the first Christian, she's not the last. The next one we find is a demon-possessed slave girl. Satan is pretty upset when the gospel is taking a foothold in Europe and people are being brought from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And we find out about his um, frustration with the growth of the gospel by a demon-possessed slave girl. Let's read her story. And as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to this spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. This is an interesting scene 
when you look up the divination and the demon possession and you look at the words behind this in a Greek dictionary, you find a lot more uh, details of what was going on here. This particular kind of demon possession, it says, would normally manifest itself by people rolling their eyes and foaming at the mouth and going into fits of hysteria. And this particular kind of fortune-telling would sometimes be done by people being given drugs to inhale so that the demon would be more in possession of their mind than they would be in possession of their mind. So what we have is a slave girl who is being controlled by a bunch of men who are giving her drugs and encouraging her in her demon possession so they could use her for money. It's almost like there are some kind of spiritual pimps in her life. But the demon in her heart cannot help but say the truth. Constantly following around Paul, Timothy, Silas, and Luke, saying, these men are telling you the way to be saved. Paul was frustrated. He put it up with it for a while, but he did not want a demon-possessed woman in charge of his PR campaign, a demon-possessed woman doing all of his Facebook posts for him. So finally, he cast the demon out of her, which was a great deal for her because I believe at that point she became born again. Not only did she get her right mind back and no doubt probably got off of the drugs that she had been induced to and she became a member of the church. All good things for her, but her owners were not happy in the least because they had lost what was a um, lucrative source of income. Let's read the story. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they flew th threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. They didn't bother to investigate the charges against Paul and Silas. They just jumped to conclusions and began to beat them with, with rods. The rods would have bruised their back. The rods may have opened up um, wounds on their back. Those rods were known sometimes for breaking ribs. It was certainly no fun. And then they were put in prison. Now, this is a picture of the prison in Philippi where Paul and Silas were kept. But here's where the interesting part begins. While they were in prison, instead of crying and whining and complaining, the scripture tells us that they were singing and praying. Paul and Silas didn't have joy because of their circumstances, but they had joy in their relationship with Jesus. They knew that God was still large and in charge of everything that was happening in their life. Wasn't it God who had closed the doors to go to Ephesus and closed the doors to go to Bithynia? Wasn't it God who had brought them down to the crossing for Europe? 
Wasn't it God who had given Paul the vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come and help us? Wasn't it God who had opened Lydia's heart? Wasn't it God who had taken the demon out of the slave girl's heart? God was still large and in charge of all things that was happening to them. And he was going to use their time of being beaten and their time of being in prison as part of his plan to bring the gospel message to the city of Philippi and ultimately the city of Europe. And let's see how God did that with the third member of the Philippian church, the Philippian jailer. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, you and you will be saved, you and your whole household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. While Paul and Silas were going through times of suffering, God was still large and in charge, and he was going to use that time of suffering to bring the gospel to the city. There was some good application for us here. We have to realize that sometimes God will put us through times of suffering as well. And that suffering is not a mistake in God's plan, but suffering is also still part of God's plan. And when, when we have our joy in Jesus, in the midst of that suffering, God uses that period of suffering in our life as a way that we can be a witness to the world and bring the gospel message to the people around us. Did you ever realize that this is one of the ways that God wants us to share our faith in a lost world? In a world where people are not happy, Christians stand out as men and women who still have joy because our joy doesn't come from our circumstances. Our joy comes from our Savior and being in a right relationship with Him no matter what is happening in our life. And our joy, it comes from the fact that we know for sure that God will use the hard times in our life as a way that we can be witnesses for him in our life. God always has a good purpose in our suffering. 
when we come to the book of Philippians, it picks up on the story of the church in Philippi 10 years later. So the, the church began with Lydia, a, a white-collar woman, the jailer, a, a blue-collar man, and a very poor, formerly demon-possessed, drug-acted dr- drug woman. That's how the f- church began. But 10 years later, the church had grown. And during that 10-year time, that church had supported Paul as a missionary. He was uh, almost like the missionary on the mission board for the church. And they had given to him a number of times. They had sent Epaphroditus at this time uh, with some resources to help Paul when he was in prison. Epaphroditus had arrived and he had become sick, but thankfully he had recovered by this time. And so Paul writes the letter of Philippians to thank the Philippians for their generosity, and he gives it to Epaphroditus to bring back to them. Epaphroditus at that time also is carrying some other letters. He will bring back a letter to the Ephesians, which ends up in our Bible, a letter to the Colossians, which ends up in our Bible, as well as a letter to Philemon, which also ends up in our Bible. But this letter to the Philippians is more than just a thank you note. It is a constant reminder to them that they too can have joy and they must maintain their joy in Jesus Christ in spite of difficult circumstances. It was Paul and Silas's joy in Jesus when they were in the midst of that Philippian jail that led to the spread of the gospel and the birth of the Philippian church with the Philippian jailer. At this time, Paul is now again in jail, and 10 years later, he's in a Roman jail. And he is confident that having joy in Christ, even when he is in the midst of a Roman prison, not sadness because of his circumstances, will lead to the spread of the gospel and to the growth of the church in in Rome, just like it happened in Philippi. And Paul in this letter is encouraging the Philippians, continue to have joy in Jesus in spite of your difficult circumstances. Because when we have joy in Christ, We know that even in the face of suffering, our sufferings is part of the will of Christ and he will use those difficult times to let our joy shine forth and spread the gospel to the world. Now the application to you and me today is this. We are obviously entering a time in our country's history that is going to have some difficult times. A time when there's going to be a lot of Sadness, probably not a lot of happiness. But as Christians, just like Paul in the Philippian prison and Paul in the Roman prison, we can still be men and women of joy. Joy that comes from the fact that we know that our relationship with with God is completely solid because of Jesus and joy because we know that what God will do is he will take the difficult times in our life and he'll use it as an opportunity for us to be able to share the good news of Jesus and to share the joy of Jesus with others as we stand out as different in a world that is often marked by sadness. The challenge is for us this week and for the months to come to be men and women of joy, even when we find ourselves in a world of sadness 
joy that comes from our relationship with God and knowing that he is large and in charge of every adversity we face and he'll use it for his good purposes. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of Philippians. We look forward to picking it up again in in two weeks when we study it together. Thank you so much that we can have joy because of our relationship with you. So I pray that you would help us to be people who are positive in difficult times, and may we often very be able to very click, clearly tell others that our joy comes from Jesus, not from the challenges and difficulties that we face. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us. And may God continue to enrich your life.